Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Paul, for uh, leading us in that uh, important time of prayer. Um, welcome. Man, this was, this was a great morning. Whenever we have our children not only involved, but reciting God's word. How amazing is that? Abdil and Nolan and Josie did a tremendous job. And it's, man, what, what an encouragement that is. Uh, but also, hopefully, for some of us, what, what, a, what a challenge that should be. Uh, we should be doing the exact same thing, hiding his word in our hearts so that we will not sin against him, knowing that his word is a lamp to our feet, it's a light to our path. It is, doesn't just guide us, it feeds us, feeds our souls, feeds our faith, makes us strong in the Lord. Uh, I'm so excited because we are starting this series in the book of Acts. Uh, as you know, I, I set this up like two weeks ago, and, uh, and then we paused last week because we, we had a very special uh, communion service, and uh, it was important that we really give the focus to the table as we did last week. Uh, but today we're going to pick up that series again, where we left off. And uh, so we're just going to dive right in to this incredible book today, and I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1, and we are going to be reading the first 11 verses. So what I'll ask you to do, if you are able, uh, is to please stand as I read these verses. This is from the uh, NIV 84, and I will read verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion... While he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Thank you for standing there. There we go. We'll see how we're, we'll do on these slides here. Um, Amazing, amazing passage here. By the way, I, I really appreciate it. Joe had opened with uh, Psalm 24. The early church fathers believed that, that really Psalm 24 was heaven's perspective on the ascension of Christ that we just read about there in, in the last few verses of this passage. Um, the king of glory entering into heaven, right? 
we, we saw the disciples' perspective on that as they're just staring up watching Jesus vanish before their very eyes, up, 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 and away. Uh, but what an amazing, glorious picture we have here. This whole passage is just so important, and so we're just going to go through it today. Uh, I'm going to take uh, a little bit of time. We're going to have a few different points of focus, but uh, before we look to his word, can I just pray? Dear Heavenly Father, open our eyes. Open our eyes to be able to see what you are saying here in your word. Holy Spirit, fill us, enlighten us, so that we would not just understand what your word says, but that we would be empowered to obey what your word says to us today. And it's for your glory, I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Um, so we started this series uh, a couple of weeks ago, like I said, unofficially, because we actually looked at the book of Luke uh, two weeks ago, which is the prequel to Acts, as we discovered. And, uh, and what we have here in Acts is, is the first and most foundational work of, of church history ever recorded. It tells this amazing story of the establishment and then explosive expansion of the church. But unlike any other work of church history, this one is alive. This one is active. Because this one is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. And uh, we need to keep that in mind because this book doesn't just tell us what happened in the past. It affects and directs our present and our future. This is a powerful book. Um, I really appreciate what Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great Welsh minister uh, and founding, one of the founding pillars of the evangelical movement in the 20th century, here's what he said about the book of Acts. This is our series. That's my little slide. That's the best I can do with slides, folks. I made that. I found that picture. I put that thing on there, but that's where it ends for me. Otherwise, it's just black and white, okay? So please don't expect much with these slides. You, you come to know that. For those who know me, the PowerPoint is, it's really, it's the Holy Spirit to point us. So that's what I rely on. Um, here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. Acts is that most lyrical of books. Live in that book. I exhort you. It is the greatest tonic I know of in the realm of the spirit. Live in that book. Well, my prayer for this series is not only that we live in this book, my friends, but that we live out this book. I exhort you, said Lloyd-Jones, live in it, but my friends, we must live it out in our lives, and we'll be talking about that today. Uh, so right out of the gates, as we read, in verses 1 and 2, we discover that we're joining a story already in progress. It's written by Luke, who, as we discovered two weeks ago, had a very broad ministry. He was a pastor, traveling evangelist, a historian, a writer, and a doctor by profession. And his former book that he refers to here is, of course, his gospel, the Gospel of Luke, Luke's the author of both. In fact, the Gospel of Luke and Acts were originally one, one book in two different volumes. Now, we discovered some interesting facts about Acts, facts about Acts, uh, two weeks ago. Um, what we have here in Acts 
contributed by Luke is actually the largest contribution in all of Scripture by a single author, if you combine Acts and Luke. Yes, more than the Apostle Paul. Uh, Luke has contributed what, what constitutes, between Luke and Acts, almost 27.5% of the New Testament. That's significant. What's even more significant is that Luke is the only non-Jewish author of Scripture. He's a Gentile, right, from the other nations. We believe probably from the church at Antioch, where he came to Christ. Um, that really underscores the fact that he emphasizes in both the gospel and the book of Acts that the good news of Jesus and his offer of salvation is for everybody. It's for everybody. It's offered to everyone from people from every nation under heaven. And so it's only fitting that Luke addresses both of his gospel and this book, the book of Acts, to this guy, Theophilus, who is either a Christian seeker or Christian convert from what we can tell, possibly a Roman dignitary. He refers, Luke refers to Theophilus as, oh, most excellent Theophilus in the book of Luke. So, obviously, pretty important. Now, we did suggest, too, some scholars say, well, Theophilus, that, that name means lover of God. So, perhaps Luke was symbolically addressing all lovers of God, all believers. Really doesn't matter, because you know what the, the truth is? The truth is, Luke writes this letter so that believers in Christ, including Theophilus, would be certain of what they had been taught about their faith in Jesus Christ. He writes to assure them of their faith, and that's what we see in Luke 1, verses 3 and 4. This is the purpose for both Luke and for Acts. Okay, now, I mentioned last time that the title, The Acts of the Apostles, um, which was assigned, by the way, to this book sometime in the second century, might not have been the most accurate title. Uh, some have suggested a better title might be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And yeah, I think I would agree that that is a better, a more fitting, a more accurate title when we see what happens in this incredible book. But there's an even better title. Um, notice the way Luke opens up this book. It's really important that we don't miss this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. All that Jesus began to do and to teach. Do you see that? Luke is clear that his gospel, the gospel of Luke, is only the beginning of the story of Jesus' ministry up until he ascended into heaven. The implication being, my friends, that the book of Acts is the continuation of the story of Jesus' ministry. It's, uh, it's the sequel, as I've been saying. Uh, that's the story that Luke is setting the stage to tell here. Do you, do you realize that every single one of the first 11 verses that we read, they all are about Jesus. They all refer to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The book of Acts, my friends, is the continuation of Jesus' story. Of all that he began to do and teach, he continued to do and teach. Though not physically on earth from heaven, his ministry continues in the book of Acts. So here's what I'd suggest. Perhaps a better title, though it's really long, <laughs> The acts of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit working in the lives of the apostles, um, specifically Peter and Paul. To call it the acts of the apostles, there's actually not a whole lot of focus on 
the other apostles. It's really kind of the, the Peter and Paul story, really. The acts of Jesus Christ through, look at through the Holy Spirit working in the lives of the apostles. Why, why do I stress through the Holy Spirit? Um, because God's word stresses that everything Jesus did, his entire ministry, his entire life, he relied on the Holy Spirit. Jesus. Now, hold on a second. You, you might be thinking, wait a second. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. Fully human, yet fully divine. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. All authority had been given to Jesus. You're telling me Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity? Yes, he did. Here's what we read. Luke is very clear about this. All throughout his gospel, Luke made clear, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Luke 1.35. Jesus was baptized and anointed through the Holy Spirit. Luke 3.22. Luke 4.18. He was led and sustained by the Holy Spirit after his wilderness temptation. Luke 4. Verses 1 and 14. He performed miracles in the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12.18. Acts 10.38. He was lifted up in crucifixion through the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9.14. He was raised victorious from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 11. His entire life and ministry was dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God. Um, so, why do I stress this? Because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit... <laughs> Is, is how and who these things happen through. That's probably not the best English. I better look back at my notes here. Um, all that Jesus began to teach in and through the Holy Spirit, everything Jesus did, he relied on the Holy Spirit. Actually, we see this right here in the very first sentence. Luke stresses this. I had missed this before. I want you to see this. Look at, read this with me. I wrote about, can we read this together? All that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Even his final instructions he gave were given, how? Through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Everything Jesus did, it was, it was all in conjunction with the Holy Spirit of God in honoring his Father, in obeying his Father. Jesus through the Holy Spirit, my friends. Here's, here's where I want to bring this. If Jesus, the sovereign Son of God himself, relied on the Holy Spirit for his entire ministry, and this story is about how his ministry continues through his disciples, how much more do his disciples need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Jesus relied. That was the template. That was the pattern that he set. And that is what Luke is making clear. If this is going to work, everything you're about to read here, here's how it's going to happen. You have to follow Jesus' example who relied fully on the Holy Spirit. Okay. Point made, right? Point made. Uh, verse 3, <laughs> better keep moving. After his suffering, 
Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, Luke makes clear here that Jesus' resurrection was impossible to deny. That's his point here. The NIV says he gave many convincing proofs. Actually, it's a pretty poor translation uh, of, of the original the, the, word, the Greek word translated proof here means an indisputable, irrefutable sign. The King James does a better version, calling them infallible proofs, which, by the way, included Jesus appearing to over 500 people, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, many of whom were still alive and able to testify to having seen Jesus when Luke records this 25 years later. Okay, the point is, the proof of Jesus' resurrection was ironclad. There there was no doubting or denying that he was alive because he was walking around for 40 days appearing to people who could talk to him and touch him and shake his hand and, and sit down and eat with him, proving that he was alive. The naysayers couldn't nay because there he is. He's alive. And uh, that's exactly what we see. We see him proving it and teaching about the kingdom of God in verse 4, where we read this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, his disciples, he gave them this command. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now, if this sounds familiar, it's because Luke is recapping the conclusion of his gospel. And this is what we looked at two weeks ago. Uh, In Luke 24, 49... Jesus said, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father promised, but what? Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Okay. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. It's essentially the same message here. Do not leave. In other words, stay in Jerusalem and what? Wait for the gift my father promised. This is amazing because Jesus' one and only instruction to them, this is it. There's one instruction here was that they stay and wait for the promise of the Father, which of course was the coming of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus knew that until they received the gift the Father had promised, these guys were helpless. (laughs) These guys were, were powerless. If they were going to go and make disciples, like we stress so much, Matthew 28's version... It was imperative that they first stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise my Father will will give you. Um, My friends, if God promises something, you can count on it. You can count on his promises. His promises have never failed, not once. They're always fulfilled every time. And then Jesus kind of fills in the blank on this promise here. He gives them the details. Love this. Look, verse 5. John, he says, John baptized, John the Baptist, baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Baptized by the Holy Spirit. This is amazing. Um. But before we go further, can we just note what's happening here? This is possibly one of the most clear-cut examples of the doctrine of the Trinity that we see in Scripture here. Here is Jesus, God's Son, telling the disciples that the promise of God the Father 
is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Our God, one in three persons here. It's amazing. And here Jesus the Son gives them detail. He doesn't just tell them who is coming, namely the Holy Spirit, but how. Notice, you're going to be dunked is what that word baptized means, immersed. So think about this. John was baptizing people in the Jordan River, and he would, he would dunk them. He would immerse them. That's, we, we do baptism, believers' baptism by immersion. Completely dunked under the water so that every part of them, all of their clothing, whatever they were wearing, everything was soaking wet. There was nothing that wasn't touched by the water. Here's what happens when the disciples will be baptized. Every single part of them. Every part of them will be soaked, saturated by the Holy Spirit of God. Nothing will be left dry. So they're not just receiving a bit of him. They will be immersed in the Holy Spirit. That is what Jesus is promising them. Um, Completely covered over, filled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Now, before we go further, can I just point out the promise, the nature of this promise? This is the promise of a father, Jesus says, right? Wait for the gift my father promised. It's a relationship promise of father to children. Which means if you are a child of God, this promise is for you. We are rightful heirs of the father's promises. We said we can count on them. We can count on this. He has given us, and we know it here, those of us in Christ, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Now, what if you're not a child of God? Uh, what, what, if, what if you don't know if you're a child of God? Um, the only way to be sure that you are a child of God is, is to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins, to turn in faith to Jesus and, and, and be forgiven Accept the penalty, the punishment that he paid for our sins on the cross when he laid down his perfect life for us. He did that for us so that we could be called, what? Children of God. And we could receive the promise of God. Not only the gift of eternal life, but the gift of the Holy Spirit, of the living God, who will not just be beside us, he will be inside of us. He will guide us and direct us. He will convict us. He will encourage us. He will teach us. He will lead us into the truth. He will empower us to obey the Holy Spirit of God, my friends. So if you are not a follower of Jesus, would you cry out to him today? Repent of your sin. Turn in faith to God's only son and be saved, be forgiven. Accept that free gift, that amazing gift while there's still time. Um, so we come to verse 6. And this is great because the disciples often get a bad rap. <laughs> they're often like, oh those, oh, those disciples, man, they're just so like nearsighted. They don't get it. But this, what we see here in verse 6 actually speaks to the contrary. These guys were actually like right there with it. They said to Jesus when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, so just to set this up, six weeks before this conversation, at the Passover supper with his disciples, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus established the new covenant in his blood when he inaugurated the Lord's table, which we celebrated last week. Now, keep in mind, the disciples, they knew their Bible. 
They knew the Old Testament. They knew what the prophets said. They knew that Jeremiah and Ezekiel taught that the restoration of the kingdom to Israel was part of the new covenant that would be established. They got that. They had put that connection together. So they were right to ask, okay, Lord, so new covenant, we were there when you established the new covenant in your blood, told us to remember you. Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, here's the thing. They were expecting, their understanding of restoring the kingdom to Israel, they they were thinking of a political territorial restoration. That's what they had in mind. This Jesus is going to come in and just by force just set up, physically set up the kingdom of Israel, restore it. And they they thought it was going to happen like right away. He's alive, right? He can do that, right? Yeah. So Jesus, it's like, are you going to today? Right? That's, that's what they, they were expecting this immediately. And Jesus simply responds. He says, what? It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. In short, it's none of your business, guys. You're asking the wrong question. Uh, that's not for you to know. That knowledge is reserved for the wisdom of God the Father alone. You see, speculation into the timing of his coming kingdom wasn't for their good. It wasn't profitable for them. Just think about that. If Jesus had actually laid out his plan, okay, of how and when the, the kingdom would ultimately be restored, that we're talking about like a 2,000 plus year plan, that might not have gone over well with them. Oh. Um. Speculation about the future wasn't good for them, and my friends, it's not good for us. We learned that in our study in Revelation, I hope. It's not for us to know exactly when God's kingdom is coming. What, what is up to us to know and believe is the fact that it is coming and to be ready for it, to be living obediently knowing that it's coming soon, right? Not knowing these things was for their own good. I just think that sometimes, right, we, we want to know answers. We want to know, okay, God, like, why am I going through what I'm going through right now? Why am I, I in this situation that I'm in here? What's going to happen to my kids when I die? My family members, will they be okay? Is my health going to improve ever or fail? Will I be able to find a job? Will I have enough money in the bank to get through this this crazy recession that we're in? Where are we heading in this world? Is there uh, another, is there a war coming, right? Is is there another wave of this pandemic? What is going on? How's it all going to pan out, God? But my friends, God's knowledge about the future, at least these sorts of specifics, is not what we need. We need God's power in the present to trust and obey him. So instead of feebly speculating about what God has not revealed about the future, we should be faithfully expecting what he has and anticipating the promises that God has given us in his word. And that is exactly what Jesus does. He refocuses them, right? They've asked this question, none of your business. Here's what I'm going to do though. Look at verse eight. Here's what's going to happen. Not for you to know about that, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive power. We talked briefly about this a couple weeks ago. The word power, we get our English word dynamite from the Greek word dunamis. 
this explosive, uncontainable, uncontrollable power is what Jesus is describing here. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's power with a very specific purpose, isn't it? What, what is that purpose? He says, you will be my witnesses. This is the power. The power of the Holy Spirit that they would be filled with was the power, right, to witness. To witness effectively to Jesus Christ, for Christ. Um, by the way, why did they need the Holy Spirit? Because they weren't just going to witness to their friends and to their buddies and to maybe the people that they're close with. They were going to witness where? Everywhere. They were going to witness to who? Everyone. Look what he says here. You will be my witnesses, guys, in Jerusalem. Sorry. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And by the way, this is brilliant because Luke is actually laying out how this book is going to go. This is, this is the spread of the gospel that we read about in this book. So what we see here, verse, or chapters 1 to 7, we see the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 to 12, the spread of the gospel in Judea and Samaria. And then chapters 13 to 28, the spread of the gospel throughout the rest of the world, Rome and beyond. This is what is going to happen. This is what we're going to explore in these coming weeks. This is the structure of this book. Um, <clears throat> so, I'm just thinking, you can only imagine, right, like what the disciples must have been thinking as Jesus is, is telling them this. Um, by the way, he's not telling them, this is what I'm asking you to do, is he? Look at back that. He, he's not saying like, here's what I'm commanding you. He's simply stating what will happen, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And here's what's going to happen, guys. It's not that you're going to try to be witnesses. No, you are going to be my witnesses. You're just going to do it. It's going to happen. This is, this is an imperative. This is going to happen. Um, so what, what are they thinking at this point, right? Like, okay, this is going to happen. Now, Jerusalem, hold on. If I'm a disciple, I'm probably thinking Jerusalem is where they just crucified Jesus like a few weeks ago. I'm going to go and be a witness there. Okay. And Jesus' ministry, by the way, flat out rejected in Judea. He's sending us there. We're going to be witnesses there in Judea. And Samaria, oh man, don't even get me started on the Samaritans. Jews hated Samaritans. <laughs> Samaritans hated Jews. They were, they were mortal enemies. And then, not just there, but you're going to be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Oh, like you're talking about the Gentile world? That helpless, hopeless, depraved Gentile world of, of heathens? Is that who you're talking about, Jesus? Uh, at this point, I'm wondering if some of the disciples were thinking like, you know what, we'd rather die then do what you're asking us to do here. What you're telling us we're going to do here. But my friends, in just a few days when the Holy Spirit filled them, they would be ready to die in order to do this. See, the Greek word translated witness, it means, it's, it means martyr. It's the Greek word martyrian. That's where we get that word, martyr, someone who lays down their life. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit would lead many of them to do. They would fearlessly lay down their lives as witnesses of Jesus Christ. You see, they had witnessed everything. It had to be them because he was with, they, they were with him. 
They witnessed all the miracles. They heard all the teaching. They, they had seen him alive. They had touched him. They, they had eaten with him. They were to be his witnesses. But until the Holy Spirit filled them, that witness wouldn't matter because they wouldn't have the power that they needed. But when the Holy Spirit came, man, that witness would be so powerful, they'd be ready to die, ready to lay down their life without thinking twice because Jesus is alive. His Holy Spirit is here. I've got nothing to fear. What can man do to me? Um, Jesus explained, by the way, this in John 12, 24, pointing to his own death. He said, I tell you the truth to his disciples, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Uh, it was really a picture of what was going to happen here. Jesus explained this was God's plan. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel message would be spread in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth through his disciples, through their bold, Holy Spirit-empowered witness, even if it meant them dying for the cause of Christ. That brings us to the last three verses. We're almost there, folks. I love this. This is amazing. After he said this, we don't know how soon after, but, but after he said that, he was, get this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Wow, right? Wow. Okay, hold on a second. This is really important because up until then, in the 40 years, 40, 40 days, sorry, 40 days following Jesus' resurrection, he, he appeared. He was able just to appear and then disappear. And that's what happened. He appeared to them in the upper room. And then he was gone, right? On the road to Emmaus, he, he appeared with the two on the road to Emmaus. And then all of a sudden, they, they went to sit down and eat with him and he was gone. But that's not how he goes away here. It's very deliberate. It's very specific. It's stunning. It would have stuck with them the rest of their lives. And we will hear about it in glory when we meet them. In fact, we'll, we'll get a taste of that maybe when we see Jesus coming just as he ascended. But the point is this. They watched him go. They were able to see where he was going. Did you notice that? He, he was up, up, up. They, they kept watching him as, as he lifted up in front of their very eyes into the heavens. Amazing. Now, Jesus had told them about this. He promised that he would eventually be leaving them, but he assured them that, I have to. It's for your good, he said. John 16, 7, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, in order for the Holy Spirit to come, Jesus had to go. The Spirit of Christ in order for him to come, Jesus had to go. Um, and the disciples, I, so they must have just been blown away now at this point. Like we're, they're just staring, like staring, transfixed in the sky, probably trying to see Jesus right until the very last minute. 
right? As he's going, I can still see him. Can you still? Yeah, I can still see him. I, okay, wait, hold on. A cloud's coming. Can, can you still see him over there? Yeah, I can see him. He's still, but, oh, and then all of a sudden he was gone. The cloud hid him from their eyes. And they're just amazed. They're blown away. They're staring in the sky. And then verse 10, suddenly these two men, these, these angels dressed in white appear standing before them. Here's what we say. It says, and this is what the angels say, men of Galilee. Okay, I love this question. Why are you standing here looking in the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Wow. This is incredible. Uh, Now, Luke here doesn't record the disciples' reaction because he's already actually recorded it in Luke 24. You want to see how the disciples reacted to this? I do. Here's what we read, Luke 24, verse 52. Right after this happened, what did the disciples do? Can you read this with me? Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Okay. (laughs) They worshiped him. This was great news, okay? Because first of all, Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit, he's gonna come in just a few days, okay? It wasn't gonna be along there. Now, they didn't know when Jesus was gonna return, but the angels promised them he will return just the same way you saw him go. So be here (laughs) if you can. Same place, same time. This is how it's visibly, physically, he will come back just as he left you. And what happened? They worshipped him. They were awestruck. Wow, this is the greatest news. We're going to receive the Holy Spirit of God soon. We're going to be filled with his power. And Jesus is coming again. He's going to come back. So we're going to do what he told us we will do by the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus comes back. Unless we have to lay down our lives in the process. And so they rejoiced. We're great means exceeding. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with overflowing hearts of joy. And my friends, this is before they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is 2,000 years before where we are today, plus. So here's the question. If they obeyed, by the way, that was what Jesus told them to do. One command, go, stay, wait. That's what they did there. They worshiped him and they obeyed. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. If they could do that 2,000 years ago without having received the gift of the Holy Spirit yet, how much more 2,000 years closer to the coming of Christ with the Holy Spirit should we worship? Should we rejoice? Our God is coming. Jesus is coming soon. Us. Yeah, amen. Mm, Sorry, guys. Uh, You know, we look around at this world. It's, it's tough, right? We see the ever-increasing depravity, the desperate need of this dark, despairing world around us. And I just sort of ask, well, how much more urgent and bold should we be in our witness when we see that, right? When we know who's in us, when we know what he's told us, how much more sh- should we be out there ready and willing to do what the disciples did? to lay down their lives for the cause of Christ who gave his life for us. Uh, I mentioned earlier my prayers that we would not just live in this book, but live out this book. Because the story of Acts, which begins already in progress, my friends, is still in progress today. 
the ministry of Jesus, which is what this is about, the continuing ministry of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, working in the lives of his followers, that is continuing right now. We are a part of that. Every one of us has a part to play in that. See, the disciples thought they needed more information about the future, but what they needed was God's power in the present, the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus relied on his entire life, filling and working through the lives of his followers. So dear church, dear friends, brothers and sisters, as we seek to understand and apply the message of Acts, may the Holy Spirit enlighten us. May he lead us into the truth. May he deepen our love for Christ, our Savior, our awe and wonder of him, our soon returning king. And may he embolden our witness, filling us with his joy, empowering everything we think and say and do in order to live out our calling to point people to Jesus Christ through our lives. That is our calling, my friends. Jesus has given us not just our orders, he's given us the future. He's told us, this is what you will do. So may we not just be hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves, but may we do what it says by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As uh, we close this morning, let's uh, stand together, if you're able, as we sing, Love Lifted Me. And especially in verse 3 is, uh, is a sort of a, a witness of uh, Jesus' ability to save. And so we will, uh, in a way, apply what we have just heard in singing that third verse. So let's sing this song together. Sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love so mighty and so true, merits 
Thank you uh, for joining us uh, in this service of worship today. I invite everyone to join us for a time of fellowship in the gymnasium following our service. Uh, I hope to see you. I apologize. I don't always make it in there. Uh, sometimes I get, I get headed off, but I would love to, to see you and visit with you for a little bit today uh, and uh, get to know you if you're new here. Uh, if you are new here, please, uh, please don't just rush out. We'd love to get to know you a little bit and, uh, and get, to, get to a sense of where you're coming from and, and how we can uh, love and support you. So... And now receive the Lord's blessing, and I have to go here. I have to go to Ephesians 3, and I'm going to ask you if you agree with this when we get to the end of this benediction to please just shout out amen, okay? There's an amen in the passage, so it's, it's fitting. Here's what it says, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, and all God's children said, amen. Amen. Lord bless you.